We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The OG is back. My first, my first friend that came into the studio ever was you, bro. Last year, yeah, two years in a row now. We did the March pay per view. March pay per view. That's been cool. It's, I've been to three straight March pay per views because you for you reminded me about that yesterday. Uh, yesterday we were watching and boss in the building. Uh, for those that are new to the program, boss used to be one of the founding members of Veterans Minimum. We did this show together for many, many years. And uh, is is one of my really good friends. And even though you don't believe that, I know sometimes you always, <laughs> you're like, yo, no shot. But uh, yeah, we've made this March tradition go down, bro. It's been every every year now. I know it's only back to back years, but it's been good. How did how'd you like how you like Vegas now, bro? Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. This card, last card from last year was kind of lackluster in terms of like booking and star power, but this card is like can't miss. It was John Jones. Valentino was on there. She wound up losing, but the names on that card, I was so happy that it wound up being the March card this year. I was like, yo, if we're going to like go to these cards every year, I needed a little something better than last year. And last year, the experience was dope because it was my first Vegas fight card. Mm. So that was insane. But this year was like on another level. And again, we hit our parlay. We'll get to that in a little bit. We do got a uh, big weekend to recap and the fight game and a bunch of other things going on. But also we have a special guest, a very special guest. This is the first time ever I have a, uh, I hate saying the word fan, especially for, for him because like we've kind of become friends too. I actually met him the first time I came to a Vegas pay-per-view was for Adesanya Romero. I came out here with Alex Perez, shouts to Alex to do some stuff with VM and, and editing and a bunch of graphics and whatnot. One of my good friends that I met through creating content. And then out here, I also met Nick Chavez, who a lot of you listening, I've heard this kid's fucking name be mentioned all the time because he's a Patreon member. Uh, he's pledged the most money to the Patreon all time. I've sent him a bunch of merch. The hat that he's wearing now, if we could get the hat on Nick, 
Uh, I don't even have that hat. So that's how exclusive it is. It was like, yo, this is a one of one, dude. It, it, it's yours. So I sent it to him. So Nick Chavez, three Nicks. Again, bro, like we just can't escape it. Nick Chavez in the building, bro. Uh, I want to say thank you, first and foremost, for all the contributions to the Patreon. And what do you think of the studio? What do you think of everything, bro? Lamb, first off, it's an honor and privilege to be here with you. I really appreciate you. Slow down, in. dude. When you hear <laughs> shit like that, you're like, yo, honor. No, I'm, I'm serious, man. This is the big time. This is a great studio. Like, this is for real, for real. And I'm happy to be a part of it. And I'm glad you included me. I'm glad to have met Boss over the weekend. Chop it up with him. I just think that this is incredible, man. I'm happy to be here. And I, it was a banger card. Hell yeah. And then when we went to uh, 248, that was also really cool to connect with you back then. And then, you know, maintain it through the pandemic and this friendship that we kind of built over the years. It's pretty dope. Yeah, and you do jujitsu also, right? Yes, sir. I'm a competitor. Oh, so, you actually compete, or you I just do. okay? I do compete in the on the regional scene, as well as later this year, maybe early next year, just depending on where. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Fight to Win, those uh, submission grappling events. I'm gonna try and get myself into that later this year, early next year, if it comes into the. I'm from the Albuquerque area, so I got a little bit of a special connection to the mixed martial arts world. We'll get into that a little bit later. I mean, bro, we get into that right now. This kid has, he, he was on John Jones's Instagram story. <laughs> he was like, yeah, yo, like, tell, tell, tell the background to that. Okay, so the background to that is um, my, my dad and my uncle, they're partners in a restaurant in Albuquerque. And it's called Vintage 423. We have another partner too. But the point is, is that it's a restaurant bar that John Jones likes to go to because it's kind of in the area of where he lives. So he recognizes uh, my, my father and his partner, and we all just connected at the Cosmopolitan, leaving breakfast while he was going to eat breakfast after he weighed in. So it was pretty dope. Um, he got to wrestle my little cousin, who's a, uh, I think he's an all-district wrestler for his high school. And you get to see him. He's like 125 pounds wrestling John Jones, who's 250, <laughs> quite literally twice his kid's size. It was pretty dope. Damn, bro. That's so far. He was showing us the pictures. On the on the Instagram, and he told us the story right before that. And you're you've always been a big John Jones guy. Yeah, yeah, bro. New York, one of one of New York's finest. Upstate New York. Yeah, and both his brothers went to Syracuse, so that's a cool little connection too. But when I met Nick too, it was dope meeting Nick. You uh, set that up, so we went to the like they had a like a fight show over at um, the MGM Grand before the weigh-ins. So we talked for like three hours, just BS and fights. And you were saying too how you cornered uh, Dan Argetta in LFA, which I thought was cool too. Like I. Being the cornerman for a big-time fight, for a regional fight. I was a glorified water boy, but yeah. I was still in the corner. <laughs> That's still badass, bro. And now Ariad is in the UFC now. Yeah. And was on the Ultimate Fighter. So, like, he's a big name, too. Yeah, you had told me about that. You were like, yo, my buddy's going to be on Ultimate Fighter. And that was dope. I started following. I, I, I start to build, like, rooting interests for people that fight. Once, like, you know them. It's, it's mad obvious, right? Like, once you know someone or if someone you know knows them it's like yo, i kind of become a fan of that person and it was dope to see i do want to mention that this is like maybe the first non-alcoholic thing that i'm gonna <laughs> drink this entire week bro it was bad i drank a lot of beer this weekend bro like it was i was planning it too because this kid loves to throw them back i love to throw them back i don't drink as much as i used to also because like the jujitsu and the working out but man i knew for a fact i'm like bro we're going to these regional fights on friday Shouts to my buddy, Dimitri. You were watching the fights at uh, Tough Enough over at Sahara. That was a pretty fun time, man. Just seeing people fight and throw down, it's dope. And you never know who's going to blossom from there, right? Like, 
you never know who's going to end up going to Bellator or the UFC. So it's always dope to say, because we loved back home going to like CFFC and going to, you know, we've been to Bellator and obviously UFC, but to see those guys coming up, it was super dope. And then I quickly remembered um, why I don't like buying beer when I go to places sometimes. It was what, $15 a beer? I was like, oh my God, it's a can, bro. Like, what are we doing? This yeah. shit is just, <laughs> so I drank a shitload of beer for Friday night. I go to the gym in the morning on Saturday, sweat it all out. And in like the middle of my workout, I'm like, why am I even doing this, bro? I know I'm just going to go and throw back another 10 beers in, in like 25 minutes. And that's what ended up happening. That's the most I've drank in a long time, bro. Yeah. I, that's where I was going to hang out with me, I guess. I, buy, I started drinking. I can't stop. I had texted you, actually. I was like, going to get another round. You're like, yo, I'm good. And I wound up bringing you back another round. You're like, yo, what are you doing, bro? Yeah, you, like, you, you show up to the sea with another beer. I'm not going to say no to it. I was like, all right, I guess yeah. I have another beer now. We got to have <laughs> another beer. But what you think, what'd you think, uh, Nick, about the, the crowd yesterday? Thought the crowd was into it? Did you think it was a good vibe in the arena? Okay, Nick, you're going to especially appreciate this because you're, you also train jiu-jitsu. Whenever the crowd starts brewing a grappling match, yeah. I take that as a personal attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like, stand them up. You know, guys yelling that stuff and they're just booing when… If you're not in that situation where you're under somebody, you don't understand how exhausting it is. And those little details that you're doing to get yourself out of a bad position. Like, that's a real fight in and of itself. But it's just something that you can't see from the outside. And you don't understand it until you're actually on the wrong side of it. But overall, the crowd was just had amazing energy. It was a big John Jones crowd, which I was shocked. Yeah. Like, just because of his um, controversial history, I, I'd say like the most politically correct way to phrase it, that it would just be, he would be, they'd be showing him that much love. And I really appreciated seeing that because, you know, being from Albuquerque, having interacted with him a few times in the past, he's a really cool dude. And I'm, I'm glad he got that love. It's funny because at the press conference, I think John Morgan was like, yo, this is the loudest I've ever heard it for John Jones, like in his favor. So that was, you're right. Like that was definitely noticeable this, throughout like the whole week. And even when we were at the MGM, I was like, yo, that energy is so much different this year. Because last year, there was no title fights on that March card. It wasn't, no. This year, there was two. So it felt like there was two title fights on this card. Like that's how much energy there was in the arena. And when I had met up with Nick, he was like, it was early. I think it was around one o'clock and the, the weigh-ins, the doors for the weigh-ins, ceremonial weigh-ins weren't opening until I think three. And he said there had already been a line like around the corner and down the hall. I'm yeah. Like, Yo, that's insane. Last year we walked right in. Yeah. And we went, I think like 10, 15 minutes before it started. So the energy this week was, was like night and day compared to last year. And it, I mean, it's John Jones, so I didn't expect anything less. There yeah, were but actually three title fights if you count Jake Gyllenhaal's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, that was hysterical. It was so random because, so yo, I looked into this. You know Metallica doesn't let fighters walk out to their music? No, I didn't know that. I think Brock Lesnar walked out. That was the last time that like Enter Sandman, when he fought Mark Hunt, he came out to Enter Sandman. But apparently there's this thing where like they don't, like they, they're, uh, whatever the rights are for you to play someone's music, like the fee is insane, right? I mean, it's Metallica. It's one of the best bands of all time. But yeah. So when I heard Enter Sandman, I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then, I, and then I'm walking back. Obviously, I went to go get beers. As I'm walking back, I see UFC 222. I'm like, what the hell? And then, <laughs> and then I see Jake Gyllenhaal. Dude is shredded, bro. Holy hell. That is something. chicken and rice. What's up? A lot of chicken and rice, man. Yo, a lot of other things. Like Dana White made a joke. He's like, I don't know if he would pass you SADA testing, but he, he, definitely, <laughs> he definitely looked great. Yo, you brought up a good-ass point, dude. And recently… Uh, 
this video has been going somewhat viral. And maybe it could be for me because of what my feed is and the algorithm of Joe Rogan talking about if you're an average Joe and you're just a regular civilian and a jujitsu black belt gets his hands on you, you're, you're helpless, right? Like there's nothing you could do. It's, it's only a matter of time. I was watching that clip and I was like, bro, I think I'm a pretty good blue belt for someone that trains two, maybe three times a week. Bro, there's times when a black belt gets his hands on me and I feel helpless. And it's like, bro, I actually know what to do. I know how to get out of these things. And I feel helpless. And to bring it back to what you said about how difficult it is being underneath someone and the crowd booing. I've never been someone that booed, like ever, even before I started training. But then training kind of validated like, all right, there's no way you can ever boo. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And also, like Nick, to your point, uh, for those, for your audio only listeners, I'm, I'm 155 pounds. I'm a small dude, so, soaking wet. So when I'm underneath a, like a guy who's 220, John Jones size, like I am absolutely helpless. And that's what's crazy because even guys, like when I first started, I was a little heavier, but when I first started, like there were guys even smaller, like five, six, buck 35, that would just put me under insane shoulder pressure. It's just, it's just something that you can't really describe without having experienced it firsthand. Got to get you on the mats, bro. So you could have an understanding of what we're talking about. Well, yeah. From a fan perspective, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, Nah, you're also not someone that boos, though. But there yeah. are people that, that they'll be booing. You know? I remember there was like a couple points there in last night, too. He was like, yo, I'm so upset they're booing right now. He's like, why are they booing? <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, I can never do this. And then, dude, also, like, we were financially invested in Cody Garbrandt. Yeah. And there'd be times where, you know, he strikes me as someone that's probably had a lot of wars in the gym. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Doesn't it seem like it? Because, dude, he looked he looked very fluid. It was the flow state we kept saying. And we are like, yo, bro, he looks like he might be back. He's doing his little Ali shuffle and he's having fun in there. And the crowd would start booing. And you'd see him kind of put himself in danger. And like, bro, he got popped at one point and kind of like backed into the cage. And it didn't even seem like such a big power shot. And there are all these reports and everyone in, in MMA media and fans say that he has no chin and he's very chinny and, you know, one shot is all it takes, especially for a guy like him. And it's crazy, like, his his run was so wild because he was undefeated, right? Yeah, undefeated and unranked the year he won it all. He wound up winning in December. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he just, like, it, it brutal knockout after brutal knockout he's suffering. And then the crowd is booing, right? The crowd is booing him going in there. And you're saying to yourself, like, yo, don't boo. Because then he might see that as, like, yo, I got to do something fun and creative. And then you get caught, bro. Can we talk about this fight for a little bit? Because this is a fight I wanted to bring up. Because it was coming off the heels of that absolute banger of a Brunson-Duplessis fight. Nick, or boss, we talked about this yesterday. Well, about the... What was it? Zhang Wei Li, Yoyana Yurchek from 248. Yeah. Uh, that was an absolute banger fight. And then it was kind of followed up by a little bit of a slower paced fight with Adesanya Romero. We had a similar situation happen yesterday with that um, Derek Brunson and Duplessis fight where Derek Brunson put on an absolute clinic of grappling in the first round. And then Duplessis put on a boxing clinic in the second round. It was an absolutely perfect UFC fight. If you want to introduce somebody to the UFC, you show them that Brunson-Duplessis fight because it's how 
a mix of styles and you can see anything can happen in mixed martial arts. But going back to Garbrandt versus Jones, that first round was a little bit slow paced, you know, not very light as far as strike volume goes. But then in that second round, Cody had two banger takedowns. Oh, yeah. Vicious slams. Yeah. And, you know, however you decided to score that card, going into the going into the third round, he had two rounds in his pocket. So as a fighter, you don't want to put yourself in needless danger by going after going after a knockout or trying to go for a submission attempt and leaving yourself vulnerable. So I think that Garbrandt fought a very smart fight, especially where he is, as far as where he is at in his career. And I don't think the crowd should have booed that fight. I think because Cody is such a fan favorite, um, he deserves to get a win. And he won in my book. Yeah, no, for sure. I agree with Nick too. Like, that's what I was telling you. Where we're so used to Cody Garbrandt, like deviating from the game plan and then just brawling. And he's been in those brawls. Like when he fought Munho's uh, after the, the title fights with Dillashaw, like those were wars too, in a sense. Like he got, he hurt Dillashaw, remember? In the first fight, at the end of the first round. Bro, a couple more. The fight if, if it was A couple more seconds, dude. A couple more seconds, which is crazy because you have it so many times. You'll have fights that, like Adesanya Pereira. Yeah. A couple more seconds in that for first round, was it? Yeah. Probably gets a finish. Yeah. So Cody, Cody and TJ. Like, what would the trajectory of Cody be if? There were like five more seconds in that first fight. Right. Where he drops him and then Dillashaw is out. It's just crazy. That's why that's why fighting is so wild, bro. So I think that's where the booing comes from. Where it's like everyone who's tuned into a Cody Garbrandt fight, like post his title run, has all seen brawls and him on the losing end of it for the most part, except for the Asuncao fight. Mm. So it's like the game plan he bought yesterday, which is like you see what happens when he sticks to the game plan. Like he's tough. Tough to hit and tough to get out of there. And he was fighting confident. It was like, like you said, doing his shuffle, doing his thing. So he was zoned in yesterday. The only thing I, I was disappointed about, I just hold him to such a high standard because it's Cody Garbrandt, former champion. It's like, oh man, this dude, I agree with everything you said. We're in the sense that he's up to nothing. So there's no need to put himself in needless danger. But I was like, oh man, it's like tough to see him dropping around to Trevin Jones, you know, just because like, I'm like, oh, Cody Garbrandt. I still, still think of him as like a, upper echelon fighter in the bantamweight division. Well, you hold them to a championship standard. Right. Like, that's what you have to do to uh, champions and former champions. You got to hold them up to a higher standard because they've proven to the public and to their peers that they are at an elevated level or can achieve that elevated level. Yeah. So, I, I was telling Nick, right after the fight, I was like, damn. I was like, he definitely won the fight. I was just like, oh, I'm just a little upset that the way the third round played out where he didn't, you know, he didn't do much and he lost the round. I was like, oh, I don't want to see that guy dropping around to Trevin Jones. But... Fair game to him. I mean, he won the fight and he needed a W to just, probably for his mental and also his career, just to get like things back on track. Everything's better after a W. Everyone knows that. I mean, bro, without question, like, I, I feel like he kind of got, it, it was a way easier fight than the one he was originally booked for. Arce is a badass, also from, you know, back home in New York. That, that would have been a way more difficult fight for him. And I feel like the UFC kind of like threw him like a, Layup. Like, you should get a win, you know, like on the prelim. And then it goes into the main card, too, which was so interesting with Bo Nickel. That's bro, I've never seen... We've been betting for... <clears throat> I mean, we bet on every card. We've been betting for ages. I don't remember seeing minus 900 by finish. 
Like usually you'll have a big favorite, right? Like he was minus 2000 in many places, meaning $2,000 to win a hundred. The implied is like 98% or some shit. It's something ridiculous uh, of him winning. It might be even higher, but usually you'll find value. Like I bet him to win by knockout because it was plus 200. I was like, I'm not going to bet him by submission minus 200. Ends up winning by submission. But I was saying to myself, like, there's no way I could lay eight minus 800 on a finish for anyone because shit happens. But it was also like minus 200 for the, the fight to end in round one for Bo Nickel, which was insane. What do you think of Bo Nickel? You oh, think it's man. everything that they're, that they're hyping him up? Yeah, to? easily, easily. And, and I said to you, I just said to Nick too, when we were walking in here, I said, I was kind of surprised Pickett showed good defense. Like, I was like, oh, shit, maybe we'll see Bo Nickel face some adversity. But then again, it was only a matter of time where that dude last night, it looked like he could have done anything he wanted at any given time. And he kind of showed that and then getting the subs at the finish. Bro, when you're a specialist, and you know this from training, it's it's really only a matter of time. When you're going up against a wrestler like that and the advantage is so significant, it's like, yeah, you might stuff that initial takedown, but they're relentless. They're chaining wrestling moves. It's like single to double to, you know, double crotch, like all this shit that they're doing. And it's the same thing with like a black belt, dude. Like it's a... They're, I roll with some guys over at Syndicate, dude, that that are like high-level black belts. And obviously, Jerry and Shane are the coaches over there. Shout out to the Shapiro brothers. But it's only a matter of time before they strangle you. Like this one dude, Ryan, I was telling this story. He, uh, I didn't know that he was a black belt. And I, I don't train in the gi much. I know it's very, you get at me too as you're giving me the thumbs down. <laughs> he gets at me too. I don't like the gi. I've maybe trained from the time I got my black belt in December of last, not this past black December, belt. Uh, blue belt, excuse me. When I got my blue belt, it was like December of 2022. No, December of 2021. I've maybe trained like seven times in the gi since then. I just don't like the gi. I don't like that you could just like hold me down there and you're holding onto my collar and I can't. And obviously you're like, yo, you know, that's why you got to go to gi class and you know how to get out of that. But like, dude, one of the times where I was at Syndicate, I'm training. And I'm in the gi. And, you know, eventually, like, you're not wearing your belt anymore because you're tired of putting it back on. Like, you're just rolling. I'm rolling with this kid. And, bro, he was just doing whatever he wanted to me. And then I see over to the side, there's, like, a white belt, my blue belt, and a black belt. I'm like, bro, if he's a white belt, I'm never training again. I was like, if, if that, and he walks over, he grabs a black belt. I'm like, oh, thank God, I can keep training. <laughs> but, like, dude, I bring it back to, like, the Bo Nickel thing, right? And Jamie Pickett defense the takedown. It's it's the same thing, bro. It's only a matter of time before, like it, it was like Habib and Connor. Remember, yeah. like Connor was stuffing some of those early takedowns. It's like, all right, you could do that one or two times, but eventually, it's just when you're that alpha at that specific thing. It's like, bro, when you train with a black belt, it's only a matter of time, and and oftentimes they'll let you like they'll put you in a hold and just to see how you would react to it, and then it's like chaining one triangles. So, fucking Kimuras into leg life. You're like, oh, fuck, but there's no, it's it's a relentless pace in all aspects of MMA. So, Bo Nickel, I just need to bring it up because for your video listeners, I've got this New Mexico uh, crew neck on. Bo Nickel, he's got his roots in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. That's a, uh, that's a town right next to Albuquerque. I think he spent a year or two uh, at Rio Rancho High School or Sioux Cleveland, one of the two. It doesn't, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's got his connections to New Mexico, so I thought I'd shut that out real fast. Um, but he's just an absolute unstoppable force. Three-time NCAA champion. He's 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 going to be 
a contender, I think. And it's 185 too. So this man is massive. Yeah. Massive dude. And I'm, I'm really interested to see um, what the landscape is when he's finally breaks into contention. But I, but I do think they should do the O'Malley route with him. I don't think they will, bro. I think he's on the fast track for sure. Like boss. everyone sings his praises. Like his credentials are unmatched. His wrestling credentials. Like everyone knows who Bo Nichols, not only in the wrestling community, but now if you didn't know him before last night, now you know who he is because that's how dominant he was. You, you said like, if you're just looking at lines, like who the hell is this guy minus 2000 in a fight? Like anything can happen in a fight, but it's like kind of looked all of the minus 2000 he was set up to be yesterday. So nah, I don't think he's on the O'Malley route. I think he's going to be big time fast tracked. And if you see the two guys that are booked for the title fight, not Asanya and Pereira, they're great strikers. So it would be interesting to see how they match up or how he would match up with them. I mean, I know you got to get in to get a takedown, but if he takes them to the ground, that's super deep orders for either of them, for anybody really, but especially for the champions. But you don't think they'll give him a couple more kind of showcase fights? Without a doubt. They'll probably give him one more unranked fight and then he'll get like a somewhere between eight and 15, like the back half of the ranking. Then he might have one of like against a top contender. Like a Brunson. Yeah. So we were talking about Brunson. I was like forever in my head. I think of Brunson as forever number six. I just always think of him as number six in the rankings. All the guys that have gone on to win a title at 185 have fought him at some point. Izzy fought him. Whitaker fought him. It's like that's, you know, the gatekeeper uh, as they call him. And yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they give him another guy who will just like run through kind of just outside the rankings. Then you'll give him maybe a bigger name at 185 who who was not maybe not a champion, but maybe like, actually Brunson. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, Coming off like, loss in yeah. the top 15. I yeah, like, a, like a Brad Tavares, like one of those kind of guys. And then you work your way into the the top five of the division. But like calling out Chamayev and like wanting the Chamayev fight, I don't think the UFC would do that either way. Not yet, because you got these two hype trains. You got these two dudes that like, why not? Oh, brings up a good question. Are you someone that thinks, like, yo, just make the fight happen? I think the fight needs to make sense from a business perspective in order to happen. It's all timing. Timing is, like, right now, a fight that makes sense, because you brought up Chemayev, I think a fight that makes sense, given just, like, public perception, where the money could be, you know, fandoms, would be Costa versus Chemayev. I like that. That's a fight that, in my opinion, would make sense at this time. I don't think somebody like Nickel and Chemayev would make sense at this time just because Bo Nickel's star needs to rise a little bit in the eyes of the public so that way they can book that. Because it could be like UFC fight night main event type of uh, attraction. So I just think like timing and business-wise, there still needs to be things. Like don't you can't just make a fight happen just to make it happen because ultimately that's kind of bad business and it skews the perception of other fighters moving forward. Yeah. I agree. And it's funny too that the media day Nick was saying that he wants the Jamai fight at Allegiant Stadium, which is hasn't been done yet. I don't know if that would be like right now, if that was to be next, like you said, like timing wise, I don't think that would draw well for a football stadium for a UFC's first fight. You know, that that at some point, like I think that should be safe for the top for like a title fight if they both wind up making it there. Like until then, I kind of want like that fight on ice right now. I hear, I hear both of your cases, and I, I think that's the right case. However, it is fighting, and 
if it's hot right now, why not do it? I don't want this fight to happen, but I'm playing devil's advocate. Like, yeah, you want to build it to a point where, like, Izzy and Costa was the best case scenario of something like this because there were two guys. They kind of came into the UFC around the same time. They were both undefeated. They both were talking shit to one another. And it was like, all right, if these guys keep winning, when they clash, it'll be dope because you have the storyline, you have the history, you have the aura of both guys. And then you had that. But there's been so many cases where it's like, ah, this guy versus this guy down the road. And then fighter A loses and then goes on a losing streak. And then it's like, dude, you know what would have been sick if we would have saw that fight a year ago? So there is that also. Hindsight, like Cam Newton's famously said, hindsight's 50-50, man. Like, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, that fight would have been a banger, but also it could have been a dud. I mean, who's really, yeah. who's really to know? Yeah, and I mean, like, we, we saw with Adesanya with, with Romero. Like, everyone was like, yo, that was going to be a dope fight. And then it was kind of a dud. And then with Cannoneer, too. Like, that was like the power puncher against the, the skilled striker and Izzy. And then that's kind of a dud. The Derek Lewis versus Francis, like, that's one of the worst fights ever, bro. Yeah. Yeah, that was I was so hyped for that fight, and it was Francis coming off the Elder Stipe, and uh, in that January, and I think they fought Derek. He fought Derek Lewis International Fight Week in July, and he was so tentative, and like, yeah, it was. It could wind up being a dud, man. You never know. I would hold off on that fight, bro. I'm, I'm, we both know that. I mean, at least Bo Nickel. Like, I don't think he's losing his next fight. Chemaev, who knows where they put him? He might get a top five guy at, at eighty five. He's also fighting. I mean, he's fought 85 before, but now it looks like he's there for good. So it'll be interesting to see how he, you know, sizes up with other 85ers that are at the top of the rankings. And then uh, I think we could just wait on that fight, man. I want to see it, like, with stakes. Mm. I mean, it already has stakes because they're probably two of the most popular middleweights on the roster or up there behind Adesanya and Pereira. So let their star build, like he's like Nick said, and then just... Give me stakes. Give me a number one contender fight. Give me a title eliminator or give me, you know, both of them meeting up at the top for a title. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done. You want a hot take? Yeah. I'm not a Chemayev guy. I don't think I don't think he's going to be the the champion at 185. I don't see it. Well, bro, I mean, it, he he got to fight Whitaker. Yeah. That's the one that they're. I know you said Costa, but I think the more realistic fight is is Whitaker. And Whitaker's a tough fight, bro. Like Whitaker, I think is Whitaker is like Covington to me in a way where they probably beat and Max too. Oh, and Max, yeah, Max is a good one. They probably beat everyone in the the top five in their division except for the guy that was champion. Like Covington will probably never be able to beat Usman, right? Oh, and two. Maybe won like what two rounds yeah. in 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 the ten, and then Whitaker just couldn't. He'll he won't be able to beat Izzy. It's just a it's just a matchup. And then, um, like you mentioned, Max Max just can't beat Volk, but he beats everyone else. Is he he has a dope fight coming up against Arnold Allen yeah. next month? That's gonna be fun to see. But then, what do you do, right? Like if Max wins that, he just eliminated a guy who we would maybe want to see against Volk. It's it's fascinating stuff, man. That's why that matchmaking is so interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think Max too. Just speaking on Max quick, like he, I think fifty five is just inevitable for him at this point, just because of the history with uh, Volk. Like, there's there's Owen was it Owen three Owen three Yeah. So it's like we don't need to see that ran back again for a fourth time. And he could fight at fifty five, man. He has the range. He fought Poirier already for the interim title. He yeah. Used to go in Atlanta. Um. So, I think that's inevitable for Max. Our boy yesterday got another finish. Shafkat. Oh, yeah. You put me on to Shafkat, and then I, I kind of been running with it, too. You were like, yo, future champ. Future yeah. champ at 170. Had, a, had a, a hell of a hell of a fight, man. They got performance of the night. A uh, fight of the night, excuse me. And Dana White even came out and said, he's like, yo, I don't give a shit. I'm giving him a bonus because he's been very adamant that if you don't make weight, you ain't getting a bonus. So Jeff Neal missed weight. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right. I'm talking about Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal missed weight, and then Dana White said, "Fight of the night. You have to give it to those two guys." He tested Rachmanov, which was dope. Are you? Do you like Rachmanov? I know you don't like Chamaya. But- I do like Rachmanov. I actually have right here in my notes because I was being a nerd last night and <laughs> taking notes uh, after each fight. Uh, the only line uh, that says here says "Lamb, go off." Yeah, <laughs> that's the only thing I have written down here. Yeah, bro. He's he's. He's massive, number one. Like, at the weigh-ins, I couldn't believe the size difference between him and Jeff Neal. And Jeff Neal's a really good fighter. Like, he's a guy who... It was a good test for Rachmaninoff. It was his biggest test. There were some times during the fight, I'm turning to boss because we had him in our parlay. I was like, bro, he don't look like a minus 500 favorite. But then he he faced adversity, which is what you want to see in a guy like that that has all this hype. And he maintains his 100% finish rate in his yeah. career. So similar to Chemayev, like when he fought Burns, I was like Shavkat, like this is a great fight for him. Jeff Neal, good call. It's like we're gonna see, we're gonna see what he's made of because Neal had that had those health issues a little while ago, and I think he lost his first fight back, and then uh, he beat Vicente Luque, who was who weighed in for a backup to the Covington yeah uh, Usman fight. So Vicente Luque was also like at one point right there for a title shot. People forget that, and then Jeff Neal put him away. And like that, that's finished a, him for the first time in his career. That's a statement. So Hell then yeah. this fight, like he was, he had his moments too in this fight where he had Shafkat backing up, hit him with some, I mean, his fight name is Hands of Steel. So, you know, he was coming with, you know, tough shots for Shafkat. And then, uh, but yeah, man, that was a war back and forth. And I was happy to see someone like Shafkat, who's now 17 and 0, 17 finishes, so balanced, nine subs, eight knockouts, like, 
we haven't seen something like this. I feel like with a hundred percent finish rate for a top guy in some time. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what's next for him off the top of my head. I'm not really sure where I'd match make him, but he's like on the cusp of a title shot. Maybe one more fight. I didn't catch this when we were there, but he called out Covington. I didn't catch that either. I heard Dana White say that in the yeah. press conference that he said that in the octagon. I didn't catch that either, but I, dang, I like Covington. So I don't know if I want to see that yeah. fight. <laughs> Yo, it's, it's crazy, bro. You're so right. Like usually you'll see a dude. He'll be just say, hypothetically speaking, say he's, he's 21 and 0, right? He'll, but he'll probably have 16 by knockout, five by submission. Or it's the other way around. You're this all-world jujitsu guy, and you have 16 subs, five knockouts. This guy has, it's like 9-8. <laughs> now it is, yeah. It was 8-8 yeah. going, eight, eight eight going into that. That's crazy how balanced he is, bro. Yeah, well, one thing I wanted to bring up was Jeff Neal's takedown defense in this fight because you could tell that when when uh, Neal was putting these hands on Rachmanov, Rachmanov wanted to get into, wanted to take the, pl- take the fight where he wanted it right. onto the mat. And... He was just stuffing these takedowns and gassing out Rachmanov. So that, that's where the adversity came from. And Rachmanov sh- uh, proved to me, at least, that he could hang in on the feet, even though he had a, ostensibly a grappling advantage. But that was, it was a dope fight. I, there was an absolute banger leading into the Shevchenko Grasso fight. Which, yeah, dude. And that was like one of the subathon. We were close, bro. I'm going to hit one of these subathons. So close. I, I had hit that one. I had the last three fights. I had the favorite winning by submission and, and we went two for three. And then of course, Grasso ends up winning by submission. And I was like, damn, if that was the other way around. Can we talk about your tweet? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> about um, <clears throat> Grasso's submission. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. She's, she's a very, she's a great girl. Right? <laughs> we live in this climate where you can't say much else. That's why we just say great girl. And if you know, you know, if you don't, you'll figure it out. Now she's a champ. And now she's a champ. And yo, I've been a fan of hers because she's, I love watching her box. Very good boxing. Her stand-up is, is, is legit. And I was worried when it would go to the ground because I felt like there was a, a point in that fight where we turned to each other and we said, oh, it's crucifix time because Valentina almost had her in that. She did have her in it. She did. Her, she did, yeah. Little, briefly. And, dude, you've been on you've been on this a little bit about how you think Valentina is kind of, she she don't look as unstoppable as she once did. Yeah. For the last couple of fights, too. I mean, last fight I scored for Tyler Santos. I didn't think it was a robbery. Like, I was cool with Valentina yeah. winning, obviously. But she clearly dropped two rounds on the scorecards in, in everyone's eyes. And then the fight before that, I don't know, or maybe it was a couple of fights before that because I think she fought Lauren Murphy in between. But she fought Jennifer Maya. She got put on bottom and lost the round to Jennifer Maya. So... She's looked human. That's all I said. I was like, yo, she's looked super beatable her last couple of fights. And then our buddy was texting us through the fights and he's like, yo, Valentina's, because I couldn't really see from, from the seats, like looking down on the cage, but she's, he was saying, uh, Val's not moving her head and like, she's there to be hit. And I was like, damn, like she, she didn't look like all that good on the feet. And like, when I got to the ground, she was looking good. And then she made like an error with throwing that spinning kick to the body, mm, got her back taken and it was <laughs> over shortly thereafter. But like you said, too, I love for a while now watching Grasso and Aldana fight. And they both come from the same gym. Yeah. Their boxing is so crisp. So it's fun to see them, like, get out there and, like, just flow on the feet. Is Aldana, real quick, is she fighting Nunez for the belt? They're, that's, like, in talks. They in asked talks. Dana that last night. He said nothing official yet. But they're trying to get Aldana to fight. Bro, we got three Mexican champions now. Yair, Moreno, and now her, Grasso. And then if Aldana could get one, 
you know, that'd be nuts. Like, yo, it would be a good time to maybe do a huge UFC card in Mexico, right? I think Mexico City. Well, it's kind of hard because Mexico City is at extreme elevation. Word. That's at 6,300 feet. And even though Mexico City, one of the biggest places in the world, and if I don't know if you've ever been, but that place is just, it's bigger than New York. It's, it's That's stupid. where uh, Azteca is, right? Yes, the it soccer, is. soccer, bro, that's, that's like a bucket list of mine, dude. I really want to go watch a game there. Or in South America in general. Even Europe. I haven't watched a soccer game in Europe. Mexico but is North America. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm saying, I know, but I'm saying like in South America too. Like I want to go to oh, Colombia. Yeah, yeah. I know Latin you're going America. to Argentina in, in a couple of months. Like in, well, it's going to be summer for them there. But uh, the first thing I told them, bro, I was like, bro, you got to go to like a Boca Juniors game or River Plate. Like you have to go and just see what that culture is going to be like, bro. Yeah. Oh, it's so it'll be kind of weird to make it happen in, in Mexico City, but if anybody can figure out, Uncle Dana can figure it out. Yeah, but I'm saying it's also like a perfect storm right now because you have like Yair Volk will, would be a, a main event. And then you have these belts underneath it. Yep. Maybe you do three titles. Three titles in Mexico City. That place is going to be jumping, bro. No, it's crazy too. I feel like it wouldn't be that crazy to do Yair Volk there because Volk just got his fight at home too. Yeah. Against Islam. So maybe it's like, all right, time to put him. Now, now you got to go, yeah. go on the road. And the more I think about this as, as we're having this conversation about Valentina, I think they should do an immediate rematch. I think it's only right, bro. She's been your Absolutely. champion for all these years. Like so dominant. She's earned it. She's earned it for sure. And then if I'm Aaron Blanchfield, I think I'm waiting. See, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ready to move on. I know she's earned it, but I think I was telling him, I think 125, the women's, is on fire right now. Like you have Manon Firo, who hasn't fought since September or October. She beat Jukagian. I think, no, decision, but she's on fire. She's undefeated. I feel like people, she's like an afterthought right now. Um, Tatiana Suarez, who's rumored to go back to 115, but her comeback fight was at 25. And everyone knows who Tatiana Suarez is, former uh, Ultimate Fighter champion. She's Thabib, they call her, because mm -hmm. her grappling is just world-class, her wrestling. Um, you have Casey O'Neill, who's fighting in two weeks. Mm -hmm. You have, obviously, Blanche Fields. So there's, like, four women that are, like, on fire who I think all could be champions at some point. So if you want to give Valentina the rematch, I'd get it, because her history and what she's done in the company. But... I'm just like not sold on it for the fact that what she lost to Manda Nunes twice. Yeah. Right. So it's like, she's looked human. In her she last won the fights. second fight. Yeah. You can, you can argue that. You can argue that. I've, I'm in that camp. I'm in that camp too. But it's just like, she's, she's man for as good as she is. Like she's not a goat. She's maybe like the best 125 we've ever seen, but that division's so new that it's just like kind of by default, you know? So I'm, I'm personally, I'm ready to see the new challengers at 25 take over rather than see her get another shot. Well, you could do what they did with Whitaker, which I, I was always, a, I've always been a Whitaker guy. It's him and Izzy. And it was always very painful when them two would go at it. That's why they had that cool embrace at the Volk Islam fight. And I was like, oh, that was cool, man, to see them two like actually like kind of bury the hatchet. And even Adesanya said in the past, he's like, yo, in a, in a different life, he's my ultimate like rival in the UFC. In a different life, we're like best friends because we have so much in common. And what was really fascinating about that with Whitaker is after he lost to Izzy, he went, you know, he fought Till. He fought... Uh, Cannoneer. Cannoneer. Like, he went back and, like, Gastelum. Like, he went back to the drawing board and worked himself back up. And, yeah, you could say, like, 
when you get knocked out, maybe you don't deserve the immediate rematch. And like Whitaker wasn't exactly on like a seven title fight defense. That's the big difference right there. Yeah. Because that seven title defense is because over a stretch of years, like she's earned that right. I mean, to boss's point, like she's probably like, we're probably on the back nine of her run in the UFC just because she's been doing it for so long. And you know, your endurance as an athlete in this combat sport just, it never goes up. It, it always just drains. Other times undefeated. My yeah. question to you guys is, so, okay, you, if you want to run that back, it's it's what if Valentina wins? Do you have to run the trilogy? And then what happens to the the burning star of Aaron Blanchfield? It, like, it kind of, you know, it. there's just other factors, I feel like. Like, you lose that star power or aura that's, like, around Aaron Blanchfield right now because it'll probably be, what, a year maybe? A year and a half? A year if we're lucky that we see her fight for the title. If they run it back and then... Who knows? Like if Valentina wins, do you run the trilogy? It's, it's it's it just gets complicated. I feel like so I'd be ready to move on, and then have Valentina maybe get one fight and then have her challenge again. But I don't want an immediate rematch personally. So it it could be the Nunez Nunez Pena thing too, where she loses by submission, they run it back, and then it's a dominating win. Like Nunez was like validated that like yeah it was a fluke. Right, like she had her moment. Maybe, maybe this is what because Grasso wasn't really dominating the whole fight. She was getting dominated at some point too. We were talking about the crucifix before, so it's it's interesting, man. It's always going to be interesting, and I'm fascinated with what happens next because, like you said, bro, I didn't I didn't think of 125 like that, and then you mentioned all those names. Yo, it's on fire. Yeah, and you were like super high. I about just feel that. like it's not talked about enough. The women's 125 division, like it's not getting the shine it deserves right now. Well, I think it's cool now that there's such a like influx of new talent and like young prospects because for the longest time they fell victim to oh, who's going to be Valentina, bro. We were at the we were at the PI. Shouts to Bobby he gave us like a little tour there, and it was super dope going to the PI, like state of the art, obviously, right? Like the UFC is it's, it's the mecca there, but. He was showing, he showed us the championship belt, which weighs like 50 pounds, bro. Like He's had 40, yeah. 40, 40, 40, 50 pounds. That shit is heavy, dude. Like, you could kill someone if you hit him over the head, like fucking Stone Cold running into the ring. <laughs> like, you're putting someone out. But he actually mentioned, he's like, yo, the Rubies, if Valentina wins, she'll be the first one to complete the cycle. And, wow. you know, she didn't win. They were like really looking forward to that visual. And then you would start it on the other side. And then boss was like, yo, what happens if you feel that one? It's like, bro, that's like 16 title defenses. Maybe yeah. retire at that point. <laughs> like, what more do you have to prove? And it, it's whack that like John Jones, John Jones would have had it completed, right? Was it was that? The biggest what if, just like you say, the biggest what if. Yeah. In, in Isn't that UFC crazy? History. It is. It is. But it's also true. Yeah. It it, he's, he's the biggest what if in MMA. And he's still the best fighter to ever do it. It's wild. I don't think we'll ever see something like that across all sports. Just as far as like with the combination of talent, dominance, winning, uh, controversy. Yeah. Everything. Like and, and how long how long did we lose him in his like actual, actual prime at 205 where suspension, uh, personal life issues. Yeah, the legal troubles. Legal troubles. And, and you're, you're taking him out the octagon and out of camps and he's still the best fighter to ever do it. He's he's grinding and every he, single day. He's what, 35 now? Yeah. Yeah. So like by by choice too, he took 32 to 35 off just to like change weight class. Not off, but 
We, he didn't fight, so he was inactive from 32 to 35, bulking up to heavyweight. Those are prime years too, man. They are, they are. But also heavyweight, you could go a little, like, past. Right, but John Jones has mileage on him, bro. He has so many title fights under For his sure. belt that he's not like a— you know, a fresh heavyweight at you know coming into the into the game at thirty five. He's yeah, he's got miles. Was uh, was John Jones not the in this economy play of the night? I mean, looking back on it, that's a no brainer. But but also like plus two hundred, absolutely disgusting, bro. Yeah, minus two hundred. Yeah, yeah. No, well, no, to open. Oh, was it? I was. It? I saw. Was, what was nah, it? It was like plus one twenty. Okay, was, but was what it opened, and then you it just quickly, say underdog. Like the plus, fact he opened, plus sign. Yeah, yeah, the fact he opened as an underdog was I thought crazy, but. Here, here's the thing, and uh, it, this is going to be, it might be one of the most important things that I'll say. Everyone was on John Jones, right? Everyone was on John Jones. And the line opens up at plus 120, and then it closed in some places minus 190. I said it'd be over minus 200. It got very close. If I could get an ISO cam here, this is how important this one is going to be. I have to call to the booth. <laughs> it's the only sport that public perception doesn't sway me from picks. Why is that? Because it's fighting and it's styles make fights and sometimes lines are off. If everyone was on John Jones, Jeremiah, who was watching the fights with us, he's like, dude, I went to the bathroom after I got beers. As I'm coming back, everyone in the bathroom's like, bet the mortgage on John Jones. He's like, the better in me wants to go the other way. I'm like, dude, no. Not in if it's the NFL and everyone's on the bills like they were, I'm gonna I'm gonna sway away. Everyone is on the Lakers and LeBron in this game, I'm gonna sway away. But when it comes to the fight game, if everyone is on that side, and I feel like that's the right side, it doesn't. Don't hit me up and tell me, yo, the public's on Jones. Like, it don't matter. Would it, would it change to a no bet or you'd still be on Jones if you, like, were convinced of we, your play? We've, we've talked about this many times, how I feel like the only people that I get UFC betting advice or conversations with is him and my buddy Eric and my buddy Josh. We're in, a, we're in the UFC group chat and we watch, bro, we watch every fight. Like, really, we go to regional fights. Like, we love the fight game. And I'll get his input. He'll be like, yo, that's a bad line. I'm on this. I'm like, yo, I'm on, I'm on the other side. He'll be in his go-to is like, yo, your bet. You do what you want with it. But this is what I like. That influences me more than the public being on it. If that makes sense. If boss is like, yo, I don't know, man. I don't like, I don't like Jones tonight. Oh, okay. It has nothing to do with the public being on it. Well, it was like that yesterday. I was on Gamrot. He was on Gamrot. I like Turner. I ended up not betting Turner because also this kid's a psychopath. He put a good amount of money on Gamma. I didn't want to be that asshole where like my $50 bet to his 400. I don't want to be there sitting with him and like, yo, he's sweating out Gamma. So I just didn't bet it. I didn't. I took fight doesn't go to distance and ended up going to distance. So I lost there, but I was more so rooting for him there. But to me, that's, it's the only sport where I, I don't care. Well, I think that, Public perception, like what you're talking about, in the UFC, it's fundamentally different from the NFL, for instance, because in the NFL, it's confined to the United States of America, whereas the UFC, the public perception is worldwide. Whereas, you know, good fucking point, man. Whereas, like here in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA, everybody's on John Jones. Albuquerque, New Mexico, USA, 
the entire town is on John Jones. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, but if you go across the pond into Europe, everybody's going for gone. Yeah. And then those uh, bookmakers are adjusting their markets accordingly. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. No, but, but you're right. Yeah. But it's because That's it's a, a global, point. it's a global sport and people are fight and people are fighting each other from different parts of the world. Uh, Rachmana from Kazakhstan. Like you can't handicap the perception market like that when it comes, when you're factoring in all these different places. So- that's, That's a good ass that. point, bro. Because immediately I'm thinking about soccer. So that is always going to influence on a global scale as opposed to like New York. Oh, even, everyone in New York is on Brazil. It's like, oh, what is the rest of the world on? Well, right. even take the Premier League, for example. If you're betting the Premier League, you're, you're getting English media. And that's what's influencing the lines. Like American soccer, like American soccer fans like you, you guys, you're consuming English media to, you know, form your opinions. And that's what's adjusting the lines. But- when it comes to something like the World Cup or, you know, CONCACAF gold, like when different countries start getting involved, that's when it can get a little bit murky. We hit our parlay again. We had Cody, John Jones, Shafkat, and Barrio, who won by knockout also. Back-to-back uh, -back years, we hit the four-leg parlay that him and I put together. We do, uh, and this could be a cool thing for you guys to do with your friends. It's like, you give one pick, he gives one pick, and then you agree on two. And that's what we ended up doing. We hit it, but <laughs> we're like, what, two two for 60 yeah, on these yeah. parlays? <laughs> and when we only hit the ones in, in Vegas, I was like, yeah, I'll take that, bro. I'll take it. Because we're also like laying bigger money on these. It's like three, $400 a pop. Where the ones back home, it's like $10 each. Yeah, we do the one with the chat where it's yeah. four of us. It's yeah. like $10 a head. Like everyone gives one pick. Yeah. And you can't like disagree with it. Like if you gave something that I didn't like, I'm like, ah, oh, well, it's your pick. I that's can't. your pick. Yeah. yeah that's, I, how, that's how we do we're it. We're just riding with it. And and it's always like his pick has, you know, his fight is the first fight in the four leg parlay and we don't make it a fight. So, <laughs> and then it'll be mine also. And then, you know, it's it, it's a fun way to kind of build bets with your buddies. Oh, that's it's, dope. It's, it's super dope. Yeah, it's cool. And it's like $10. So it's just like having yeah. fun. Okay. But, but over here, we ended up paying, it ended up paying for uh, STK yesterday. That banging steak, bro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good time. Well, STK. yeah, we upped the size just because like, I, I mean, I up it because I only come out here once a year usually. I mean, bro, that's the first dinner that I've gotten out here. Like, No, no, I mean like the, the betting size. The betting size. Oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Just stupid because but it's only because yeah we're here, here once a year we were going to the fights so bring it back to john jones plus 400 for him to win by submission yeah dude right before the fight i go on the app plus 120 no yeah, yeah it, got, it got like for it to move that significantly there was a lot of money coming in on that submission and he had the massive advantage. Like, bro, it was one takedown, then it was a wrap. It goes back to, like, perception, too. Like, yeah. everyone everyone going into that fight that was talking about it was like, oh, well, where does John Jones have the advantage? It was, like, clearly the grappling advantage in every aspect. Like, we've seen Jones grapple, and we saw what uh, Gon looked like last fight against uh, Nunganu. So it was like, if John Jones gets, gets his hand on him and gets him to the floor, to the mat, it, we might, you know, it might end relatively quickly. Either ground and pound which he's known for. He's finished several fights, the DC fight, the Gus fight, vicious ground and pound, or his submissions. Well, let's just talk about this. The Gracie Baja guillotine. Shout out Gracie Baja. That's my gym out in New Mexico. That's where John trains. We had Tusa in his corner. He runs all the Gracie Baja. So first off, shout out Gracie Baja. 
Secondly, when he... Historically, John Jones has been doing some weird stuff in his fights. Like he always shows something different to his opponents, you know? First, it's like that weird calf or that weird thigh kick that he does. Oh, he'll the put oblique up, kick. Yeah. Those, man. Yeah, or he'll, he'll do something like he's unpredictable when, when you match up against him. This fight against Gon, he went into his wrestling bag. He just decided to take the, play, the fight to a place where he thought he was going to be comfortable. And all the pundits were saying that he was going to do that. And that was a two-minute fight. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Plus it 400. Felt, it felt like a minute of it was him just trying to sink his guillotine in. Oh, and then also bring it outside of the octagon. This fight kind of felt like with John, there's always something. There's always something with John. When he was walking up up the stairs, he had they had to mess with his uh, tape on the toes. Uh, Bro, what was that? That was like more. That, was, that lasted longer than the fight did. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but for real, like it's like it's kind of a microcosm with John. It's like it's there's always something that's goes that's going on. Whether it's like his like you know whether he's responsible for it or if it's external circumstances, there's always something that goes on. Going back to your point of John being the biggest what if in UFC history, there's just always something that goes on. And then what? Five seconds into the fight, he gets kicked in the cup. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yo, two two dude. instances, a little microcosm of his career. Literally, like before the fight could even get started. It yes, was the, it was the tape and, and the and the groin shot. Yeah, like was, oh, that was going on. Those are bars, bro. For for real, yeah. When you start thinking about all his fights, it's always been something. And then we the parallels to his life. That's why, man. You also have to kind of be a wild boy to be that kind of a dominant fighter, too, right? Like if he was if he was super clean cut, it wouldn't make sense. Like him having all these personal issues that he has outside the octagon, it's like, yeah, it kind of makes sense because this guy's a wild fighter too. Opens up in a title fight first time. He's, what, 22, 23 years old, a flying knee against Shogun. And then just like everything, like he would beat, he beat Machida in like one of the most vicious ways, like how Machida's body just collapsed on that choke that he had him up against the cage. Like <laughs> he does, yeah, he does, he does that stuff, man. He's... He, He's the goat, like, and I like how he did the the bad thing at the end. Oh, like, that, that was so cool. That was such an honest moment from John Jones. It's like, yo, he's been waiting to do that too. And now, <laughs> now it'll be him and him and Stipe, I think, right? Yeah, yeah he called for it. It's Dana likes it. Stipe deserves it too. International fight week. International fight week. Yeah. Going back to what was the conversation about filling up Allegiant Stadium? That's the kind of circumstance it would take to fill up a football stadium. That's the kind of fight it would Agreed. take. International fight week. The buildup, Hall of Fame inductions, all of the fanfare—that's what kind of card it's going to take for, for the UFC to pull sixty thousand into an arena. Yeah, and you need a guy like John Jones as like your headliner. It's heavyweight. People like the bigger guys, just like in boxing. Baddest man on the planet. Title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the goat. Like Tom Brady was there yesterday too, which was really cool. Did they boo Brady or did they? Nah, he oh, got a pop. He got a pop. Yeah. yeah. Hey, and you said they booed Islam, right? Yeah, I love that. Bad. That was. Uh, I don't know. I didn't like that. I didn't no, understand why. But I was like, nah, so, so here's what I think happened. And we'll end the show on, on this. And I would love to hear your thoughts. And you guys could chime in. Veterans Minimum, hit us up and, and tell us what your thoughts are. One of my favorite UFC moments ever was when Corey Sanhagen lost to Peter Yan. And whoever was interviewing him, maybe it was DC or Felder, was like, hey, man, did you think you did enough to win? And he said, nah, not really, man. I, You know, I'm... I feel like that's a fair decision. Like he admits, how many times do you see guys say, oh, I got screwed, I got robbed, whatever it might be. Islam, the way he handled the, the post fight, I think like soured a lot of people. He was the bigger guy. It was his division. No one gave Volk a chance. 
And he, he, you know, won two rounds off of him. He wasn't really, you know, the last round. If, bro, if there was another round in that fight, he'd probably lose that. Like, oh, yeah. He was. Dude, with like three minutes left, he has, he's on his back, Islam, and he's looking up at the clock and he has like a death stare of like, please get me out of here. Right. And that's always a bad omen when a guy's looking at the clock. To me, I feel like you lose the fight. When you're looking at the clock, it's like, you don't want to be in there. It's bad optics to the judges. And then O'Malley, when he fought Jan, very controversial decision. Oh, he got robbed. They're, they're spoon feeding him wins and shit. Not spoon feeding. That's a bad term. But like the judges are behind this one because it's a cash cow. And O'Malley's like, hey, man, I got to go back and watch the tape. And I think you give those honest answers where you're not like, yeah, I won that convincingly. Patty Pimblett. Patty took a heel turn against our boy. Yep. Dude, to this day, it's the only time I've seen the entire world, journalists, analysts, fighters, the media all were like, yo, Jared got robbed. But Patty comes out, he goes, oh, I won that fight rather easy. It's like, bro, you're being delusional here and you sour your, your, the fan base. He's leaning into the character, but even still, like, that's just kind of a scumbag move. Yeah, you're leaning into the character. I get that. And you're right. But I think that's the, the perception of that guy changes. And that's what I think you saw happen. You think so? I don't know. I just thought it was weird. I, don't, I feel like Khabib was kind of beloved, but it took to like later in his career to become yeah. beloved. Like, no one really gave him pop either. But I don't know. Islam was, I was kind of surprised, like, just being there in the crowd. And, you know, everyone was getting cheers. It was, uh, there was a ton of fighters there. I forgot who they were showing Steve A. He got pop. Diaz brothers. Uh, the Diaz brothers got a massive pop. <laughs> I saw Nick well. asleep <laughs> in the yeah. video, bro. He was all passed out. <laughs> and then they pan to Islam. And he's getting, like, booed out of the arena. I don't know. It was, as a champion, I, I didn't quite get it. But, because I, cause I Going back to the fight, like I clearly, I thought he won clear. Yeah, it was 3-2, but I thought it was a clear 3-2 in favor of Islam. So, I don't know. I was kind of, I thought it was unwarranted and who knows. But it's, it's MMA, man. It's good to have bad guys and good guys and, yeah. you know, people. It's good for him, I'm sure, too, for his marketing. Like, ah, oh, everyone's talking about me for better or worse. Yep. It's always never a bad thing. Never a bad thing when they're yapping, bro. Yeah. Never a bad thing. Dude, this was fun. It was great to have you in here. Thanks for having me, man. It was uh, great to kick the weekend with you, man. Always, always love these fight weekends. We call it like full, full-fledged testosterone-driven weekends. <laughs> it's just like it's fights and beers and fights and beers. Like that's all it is. And a lot of degenerate stuff at the sports book too. But it was fun. I know the audience has been looking forward to having you back on the show and and hearing from you. And we're going to do a people's podcast shortly after this. That's why we're wrapping this one up. So it'll be up on Patreon for all you guys to go and check it out. Uh, you'll get it in advance before everyone else does. Nick, you'll probably just be hanging out in here while we record that one. But it was dope. Thanks to everyone that listened to the show last week, continues to listen to the show. Shout out to your friends. Let them know that you're listening. Tag us on social media. And yeah, super grateful for everything over the last couple of months. It's been really cool to see. And uh, Nick, you always like showing my love with the Patreon and pledging. And it doesn't, you know, not taking that for granted. I try my best, man. It's hard being a one man show. I try to like create more content. So that's why I got some hats for you that I'm going to give you after this. But enough about me. Where can they find uh, you, boss, if they want to check out your shit and, you know, whatever, whatever life is. Uh, thanks for having me on, too, by the way. And it was awesome to meet Nick this weekend, which was cool. Um, at endavito27 on Twitter and Instagram. And for you? Uh, you'll find me at Nikki Chav on Twitter and Instagram, two Y's, two V's. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on again, man. I really appreciate it, boss. Great to chill with you this weekend, man. Yeah, it's a great cap to the weekend. All right, everybody. We'll catch you guys next time.
headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.